Sweeney. Tom, how are you? My... Nice work. <laughs> yes. Nice work. <laughs> no, so the work, the, the good work is all yours, Tom. You got us together. <laughs> Listen, we've got Mike Morris with us here today on, on the mic, as it were, and um, we've got Brian at the airport. Uh, <laughs> 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 we haven't done a podcast at the airport before, and I'm, I'm so excited for actually travelling. Uh, <laughs> In social. I didn't realise you, realize you could, to be honest, but there we go. In isolation. Um, Mike, uh, Mike. We've known each other for a long time, probably a decade. Uh, time flies by. Do you want to introduce yourself and talk about your PMS, uh, PMSA PET um, um, abstract you, you, you're discussing at ASCO this year? Sure thing. So I'm Michael Morris. So I'm Michael Morris. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And uh, I head up the uh, prostate cancer section at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. So today, um, we're chatting about uh, PSMA uh, PET imaging, and this is because um, there are several presentations, including the one that uh, I'll be making virtually on PSMA PET and its qualification as uh, what we hope to be the new standard for uh, prostate cancer imaging. Um, so the, the abstract that I'm presenting uh, is something called a trial called Condor which is one of uh, two registration studies for the FDA for um, qualification for regulatory approval for an F-18 radio-labeled PSMA-directed tracer called uh, DCF-PYL, which uh, was developed originally in Marty Pomper's lab at Hopkins. And this, uh, this, this um, protocol focused strictly on the rising PSA population, that is those men who had had definitive local therapy and now had biochemical relapse. Most of these men had had surgery, so their PSA values were relatively low, a median value of uh, 0.8 at study entry, and um, they had to have had whatever their local uh, center does for their basic workup in terms of imaging, and that imaging needed to be negative. Uh, then they got a PYL scan, and then there were a series of other tests that could be done to verify whether the scan was, uh, the lesions reflected true positivity or false positivity. Uh, that included biopsies, other imaging, or radiating the lesion. And uh, the primary endpoint was something called uh, the uh, correct localization rate, and which was 85%. I think that you can think of CLR as basically positive predictive value, which was the primary endpoint. So it was around uh, 85%. And then there was a component of the trial which looked at how that influenced the clinical decision-making of the patients, and uh, it influenced the decision-making decision in about 64% uh, of the patients. And what decisions were those, Mike, for the audience? So I think the most important change in decision-making was to change from non-curative systemic therapy to uh, salvage local therapy with a curative intent. That was in 21% of the patients. Uh, the and how would, you make, how would you make that decision on one lesion being positive or how, how, how would you make that decision? So, uh, you know, I think that that, that, that speaks to... Um, decisions that are outside the criteria of the protocol itself, but just as a clinician, um, you'd use PSMA PET if you were sort of operating in the blind with standard imaging in a patient with very low PSA values. You don't yeah. really know where the disease is. So the most yeah. important thing is you don't want a, a potentially curable patient 
to go without salvage therapy. So a pet PSMA PET scan can reveal to you locally recurrent disease that you might not otherwise identify. Yeah. In addition, it can reveal to you uh, um, nodal disease in the pelvis that even if you did salvage RT, you might confine that just to the prostate bed. But if you saw a targetable node uh, in the pelvis, you would probably include that in the radiation uh, portal because if you don't, if you don't know that it's there and you don't target it, then the patient won't be cured. Um, and then also on the other hand, like if you see a significant amount of extra pelvic disease that otherwise is undetected, right, that patient isn't necessarily going to be cured or it isn't going to be cured by salvage uh, treatments or at least salvage treatments exclusively. So in some of those patients, you'd consider um, systemic therapy either added to or substituted for uh, salvage therapy. So there are... And Mike, what was, the, what, was the true positive, what was the true positive rate and what was the false positive rate? So when you went in and did the biopsies to try and confirm that it was indeed prostate cancer, what was the, uh, what was the pickup rate and what was the false positive rate? So the true, we had three independent readers uh, sort of do the analysis here. The true positive rate um, was, well... Put it this way, the positive predictive value, which is true positive over true positive plus false positive, yes. was 86% to 88% per reader. So it was 86, 87, and 85% for the three independent readers. So really quite good. The, the FDA had agreed with us in terms of what would can be considered to be a success if, if the lower bound of the 95% confidence interval were above 20%. So this was in the 80 to 90 percent range. So it wasn't just a positive trial. It was an outstandingly positive trial. So let's but how, I'm going to jump in, Tom. Yes, where you go, you go, you go. A couple of things. So I'm going to come across um, two, with two phases. There is no doubt the numbers are better in identifying cancer with PSMA PET. No matter what you call it, positive predictive value, um, the endpoint that you described. No one can question that. And we've spoken to Tom Hope about his presentation as well. But, Mike, you used some big words um, such as cure. And uh, I'll disclaim, I do do Axiom and PET, and, uh, and I put a patient on this, and I have radiated and maybe given a course of hormones with that radiation with the intent of hoping to cure them, but I'm not sure I have. How, do you, how confident are you with the word cure when you say this? I'm not saying that we cure the patients. I said curative intent, right? Yes, exactly. So, exactly. But people people might get that mixed up. Um, they might. They might if if they're not uh, uh, listening to all of the words. But you're you're right. I think that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is always a risk of only listening to half the words that somebody says. Right? I mean, they're good examples of that, Mike. They're good examples. I've been misquoted many times in my life, but all the charges have been dropped. <laughs> But I would say this, um, it depends on what the, uh, what the scan is showing in the clinical context, right? We don't know at all whether mm -hmm. or not a patient with oligometastatic disease can be cured. So I would take that, I would take that group of patients out of that uh, category of patients with curative intent. You're, you're, you're sort of, I, I guess, intending to do it, but there's no evidence that we have achieved that. On the yeah. other hand, uh, a patient with uh, low PSA and, uh, and favorable features amenable to salvage RT, 
the, the, the true aim of salvage radiation therapy is to cure, and we have good phase three data, even pre-PSMA uh, imaging age, that um, we can do that, right? We have... So, actually, I will clarify. So, by salvage radiation, you're referring to salvage to the prostate bed, plus minus the nodes with a rising PSA post-prostatectomy. Correct, yeah. Yeah. I would, I, if we're talking about oligometastatic disease and delivering uh, SBRT to those lesions, I wouldn't call that salvage radiation therapy. Yeah, exactly. I would call Again, that oligometastatic disease targeted radiotherapy. And that's and a different kettle of fish. Yeah, and the reason why I'm being a curmudgeon and persnickety about this is because our terms are changing. Mm -hmm. Our intents are changing, and we've got this new technology, and our paradigms are changing. So I'm just being the... Um, well, the, not the naysayer, but just asking some of the tough questions, actually, before yeah, this no. is going to... Have you got any more tough questions, or can I ask one? Yeah, go for it, Tom. Go for it. Yeah. So listen, uh, Mike, who, um, who is this actually helping? So it, it, you don't know it's making anyone live longer yet, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. um, but there are groups of patients. So how does this fit into the guidelines? Who's it helping? Who should get this investigation um, as of you know, with, with all of the FDA and all the approvals and EMA, you know, in your experience, which group of patients should be getting this and what decisions should be based off the back of it? So I think one of the most influential places that uh, you can apply and really help people to, to, to use your phrasing uh, is in the high-risk localized patient population. So you may be able to identify uh, men who really need a systemic component to their disease, that's either with or without uh, addressing the primary on the basis of uh, detecting disease that simply was otherwise not appreciated. So for example, a man who has high-risk localized disease but just has undetected widespread metastatic disease needs a very different treatment plan than just a prostatectomy and then let's see how you're doing. Um, the, the other group of people is the biochemically relapsed population. That's the population that we're talking about right now. That's the group of men where it really does make a difference if you can detect where the disease is because you have a very small window for rendering the patient free of disease. And the real dilemma for those men is that by standard imaging right now, that window closes by the time you can see something. Right? That window is generally in the dec low decimal range of PSA values. There's no standard imaging right now that in which you can really rationally make treatment decisions on the basis of where you perceive the disease to be because they don't function at, at a, a PSA levels th that low. So I think that those are the two main groups of patients that I really focus on right now where we may not have the perfect tr tr uh, treatment paradigms for those patients. And we all acknowledge, and I think... Uh, Chris and I are in agreement on this, that we have to really develop optimized treatment modalities where we understand what the clinical implications of the actions that we take are. But those are the main patient populations where we've been making decisions for the last 40 years on the basis of really not appreciating where the disease is, understaging them, underappreciating their extent of disease, doing procedures in which disease is being left behind, irradiating lesions in which we're not appreciating that, that we're only irradiating what can be seen and there's an unseen disease that's not appreciated, denying patients systemic therapy when they have systemic disease and we haven't appreciated. Those are the patients where we really can serve them well by developing treatment paradigms based on this imaging modality. Mike, I'm going to pick Three. up on yeah, two things. We're going to go through the history of how this study was designed and what actually uh, the FDA discussed about an imaging study. 
But the first question I'm going to ask is, how do you respond or to patients that you've seen or people have asked you, oh, the patient's PSA is 0.2. Um, I'm going to send them for a PSMA PET. And I've seen this, that the patients have been sent across the country, across to other countries sure. for a PSMA PET. Uh, and they come back and say, well, we won't do anything yet. We won't do the salvage radiation yet. Let's wait until we see something on a PSMA PET before we radiate. How do you feel about that? I would not advise doing that, to be honest. So um, that's the same rationale that you could use with standard imaging uh, as well. So if you have a patient who really is a good candidate for salvage RT, somebody with let's, plus or minus ADT, but it, mm -hmm. let's say you have somebody who has low-grade disease, you know, Gleason 6, a relatively low PSA, PSA at the outset, <laughs> and just has a positive margin at surgery. I think that it would re it, waiting for a PSMA scan to be positive and not doing either early salvage or adjuvant RT is probably, and, and, and really in today's day and age, I think the evidence points to early salvage. To, to wait for a PSMA scan to be positive, I just don't think that it's necessary. And indeed, I'm not sure you would even get a scan on that patient, right? Not everybody Correct. needs a PSMA scan to make a good decision. Correct. And this is so as much enthusiasm that you appropriately have about the technology, I do feel that people may be more enthusiastic in the wrong direction. And that's a concern. Absolutely. The other, yes. So thanks for uh, sharing that. The other question is, um, how is it that the FDA decided to have this as a positive predictive value study rather than a clinical utility study? I think that's a, a, a really good question. So um, I think it's been an, evolution in terms of their thinking. So if you look at the earlier uh, studies of, of PYL, specifically the Osprey trial, Osprey was a trial of men with, of men with high-risk localized disease and also men with metastatic disease. Uh, so the two clinical states that flank this study, Condor, um, that study did not perform well on its sensitivity. That is, the false negative rate compared to the pathology findings uh, was higher than we wanted. And the reason for that is that you were comparing the scan to microscopy, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. yep. it, it didn't perform that well because we're not doing PSMA microscopy, right? It's not imaging microscopy. It is really, um, uh, you know, the, the scan has to have it, uh, become comparable to some other standard than uh, plumbing down to a cellular level. So... The issue is then, what is important on a scan that affects our uh, decision-making? Is it what we don't see or is it what we do mm -hmm. see? Now, if you don't see something on a scan, i.e. it's a false negative on a PSMA scan, you're no worse off than had you just done a bone scan and a CT, right? You're being yep, delivered the same information. What actually, and, and less and with less radiation exposure, too, right? Actually, so what the important thing that you have to avoid is the false positive because that is going to actually alter your inf alter your decision making because you're acting on something that you as a new piece of information that's potentially false, and that's why the agency said we we appreciate that you act on the positive findings on the scan, so we're going to focus on positive predictive value. The second thing is it's really hard to prove that a negative thing is actually positive unless you have a pathology correlate. And they recognized the logistical difficulties of seeing normal things on a PYL scan and having to prove that they're not normal 
by some other means. It's just very difficult to do. So it's a combination of intelligent clinical decision-making. That is, you're, you're really acting on the new piece of information. That's the positive finding and also recognizing the technical difficulties of proving false negatives on a, on a widespread level. I buy, I buy all of that, and that makes a lot of sense. And I think knowing that history is great. Yeah. The other question I have, have is, what's your definition, impression of a management change study versus a clinical utility study? Well, changing management just means that the clinician used the information, relied on the information, and made a change. Now, that doesn't mean that that change actually was useful, right? It doesn't mean that mm -hmm. the patient did better. So, I, I, and I do think that it that it, that it's important to know whether the changes that we make in regards to these scans are actually helping patients. So that would show a clinical utility that is those changes in management actually benefited patients. And that's a totally separate design and a totally separate study and one which actually in this patient population would take a very, very long time to, to actually prove whether the changes that were made were useful to the patient or, or the, the scan was put to good use in terms of clinically benefiting the patient. Much tougher study to do. Absolutely. And in, in all honesty, the company, uh, the sponsor of this company, the study, um, if I recall correctly, put forward a clinical utility study to the FDA way back when. And the FDA came back and said, no, 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 no. We want the uh, positive predictive value endpoints as we do for all imaging studies. So, yeah, the, 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 the history of, of the trials and the designs for this whole area have been relatively tortured, but I would give the yeah. agency credit here that they're working to, to sort of understand how best to credential prostate cancer imaging mm -hmm. agents themselves. Mm -hmm. Just like all the questions that, that you and I have been talking about, they're now beginning to understand the subtleties of the prostate cancer world and how to get better at getting uh, you know, the imaging agents to, to into that that could be useful into the hands of patients and their clinicians more efficiently too. So th there's been a learning process there. I think that uh, reflects their sort of openness to discussion with the prostate cancer community and making trial designs that over time get better and better in terms of delivering effective products. Yeah, Mike. Quick question. Um, the one of the I guess one of the big issues will be how at ASCO this year is there's more than one presentation on mm -hmm. a similar topic. I guess you've read yeah. the other abstract. Obviously, this isn't going to be released until after that presentation has taken place. How do you feel that this result is put in context with the other results? That you know, I think that the whole field of PSMA imaging, because th there are several, there's a Gallium 68, which Tom Hope is going to present, PYL, and behind those, there are four other tracers that are being developed as well. I think for the clinician um, who is practicing, the, the bottom line is that all of these have performance characteristics that are better than anything that is standard right now. And I think that probably these are gonna be interchangeable in the sense that um, you know, your average clinician, for example, let's say you had a standard uh, MRI done, you, you probably wouldn't say, am I going to get this on a GE or am I going to get this on a Siemens, right? You're just going to order your MRI probably. And I think that the world of PSMA imaging is going to be much the same. There are going to be multiple products available. Probably your average clinician 
is not going to have a choice as to which his institution or radiology center orders or has available, whether they have a gallium generator or whether they're ordering F-18 from another supplier. They're probably just going to order a PSMA scan, right, and leave the details to the people who uh, the radiology community, the nu nuclear medicine community who are, you know, arranging for that. So I think that probably um, for us as, as a clinician, it's just going to be a better scan no matter what variety or flavor that that's going to come in than what you're using now. Sweeney, you've got a last question before we wrap this up. Michael, going forward, what would you say to the practicing clinician about how to implement um, a PSMA PET into their practice going forward for a patient with a rising PSA after radiation or prostatectomy? So for the practicing clinician, they're going to face a few challenges, just like they mm -hmm. did when uh, flucyclovine was approved. The first is, can they get their reimbursed for this? What first? Well, for very first is, what's the label going to say? What's NCCN going to... Uh, give guidance on, and then what are the insurers going to reimburse for? Now, in a perfect world, um, all of those things would fall into place completely synchronously and logically for what your clinical practice needs. I would, from a clinician's standpoint, try to avoid the temptation of getting a PSMA scan on every single patient. I think that just like you wouldn't get a bone scan and a CT on every patient, not every prostate cancer patient needs one of these scans. It's in the high-risk category of each of the transitions from state to state, from localized disease to the rising PSA population to the non-metastatic CRPC to CRPC. Those are the areas where we're finding that those uh, that the PSMA scans were, are revealing a whole host of information that we didn't have before. But, of course, we do live in the real world, and we'll have to see what reimbursement, what the indication is, and uh, how CMS decides on, on sort of what, how Medicare will approach this as well. Mike, I love the bit you said at the end there about it's really useful in that transition mm -hmm. period between states. And I think that's really important. I don't do nearly as much prostate cancer as you guys do. I do slightly more than Brian, but he's not with us anymore. Or he's muted. Muted or muted? probably taken off. He normally butts in quite a lot of these things, to be honest. But that transition phase for me has always been really difficult in prostate cancer. You know, what do you do with the patient where it doesn't quite fit? The PSA is going up, there's nothing there and all of that. And this, I think, is really, that, that last bit you said for me is really, really incisive. And I think that this is, I, I think this is a, a really positive step. Um, Chris, um, Mike, should we call it? I'm Are happy. You happy with that? Chris? I, I think that's great. Well done, Michael. Thank you very much for sharing those insights. Right, congratulations yeah, on your yeah. terrific work, all right? And let's get a bit. I would love that. I'd love yes. to see you. Let's do that. Okay. Keep up the good all work. Right. Cheers. Bye. Bye, Chris. Cheers. Bye, bye, -bye. Tom. <laughs>